Good morning and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laurent Landis. Patty will be back with us next week. Um, we were going to begin today's show by asking our guest about his recent meeting with Vladimir Putin. Instead... <laughs> Instead, we have with us Councilman Omar's second choice, Narvaez, everyone's second favorite city councilman. So, Omar, how is Adam Medrano doing? Adam Medrano is doing great. So. <laughs> <laughs> he looks so much younger and so refreshed, let me tell you. Well, that's good yeah, to hear. Yeah. Well, I hear yeah. politics ages you. It does, let me tell you. Um, but, I, I, I joke and I go, all this gray hair right here on the right temple, that's all from when we had the gas explosion. That's right. On the left is the tornado, right. the back of my head, that's all the <laughs> pandemic. You know, it's like the riots are the hair loss up here. <laughs> so what Omar is telling us is that he looks like, you know what? I think you look great. And the, Thank the, you. The, 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 the gray is barely noticeable. Thank you. <laughs> so you're doing good. I noticed it. <laughs> I noticed it every morning. <laughs> but I'm good with it. Good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm lucky that I get to age, that, that exactly. I get to, get to this age. So. And on a serious note, thank you for stepping in at the last moment. We had a tentative guest. I would have had plenty of time to book somebody else. Uh, but then we had the storm. And so at the last minute, Omar stepped in, and we really do appreciate it when you do that for us. Absolutely. Anytime. Always happy to be here. It's always a lot of fun to have you uh, here. Um, so, um, Katanji Jackson, you met with President Biden, and you suggested her name to him, I Absolutely, understand. yeah. You know, <laughs> you want me to call President Biden right now on my cell phone? Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> no, but I'm actually really excited about this uh, Supreme Court um, nominee, yep. I think it's it's one. It's about time right. that we have a black woman on the uh, Supreme Court. But number two, well, she as is Ruth stellar. Bader Ginsburg said, "How many women should we have on the Supreme Court?" Nine. Nine. <laughs> nine. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be okay with all nine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah if they're the, the quality, she she seems <clears throat> just genuinely like a fun, nice person. But a qualified person. Oh, but qualified. Absolutely qualified. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely qualified. How much trouble do you think she'll have getting through the I think they're going to throw everything that they possibly can at her and try to delay this until um, I think if the Republicans think that they're going to take the Senate back, I think they're going to try to delay it as as long as they can on the Republican side. But, you know, the Democrats do have a one-vote majority so if Kirst, if uh, Kristen Cinema and or Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin yeah. will hold the line on this one that's um, what I was, we should be yeah. fine so, and that, then that was my concern yeah and then vice president Harris will be able to cast the winning vote but I, well you know I, I might be wrong on that I think um, um, Susan Collins and uh, the US senator from Maine and, and probably um, from you know, Alaska Murkowski Murkowski from Alaska I think I, I think they would they voted for her uh, when she was up for the circuit court right yeah she, um, she she's been up for a Senate, a Senate vote before and right. she got through with no problem right but this is a little different we've been we've been here before somebody else has been through the Senate yep and then when it came time for Supreme Court no okay they changed their minds right <clears throat> You know what else I think is going to push her through? Ukraine. Mm. I think there's just going to be a little bit more consensus over the next couple of months. Um, I, I, I don't think Republicans in the Senate want to show that they're going to be obstructionists. 
I hope they don't. During a serious period like this. Yeah, th this is very serious. This is very, very, very serious. Um, so did the Dallas City Council get any top secret briefings that we should know about? They're top secret, so I can't tell you about them. So. Yeah. <laughs> but we did. We, we did. We'll we were get it able out of to, him. We were able to light up the I saw that. That uh, was skyline and mm -hmm. um, you, the Ukraine flag colors. So that was yeah. actually. A, um, I have to give credit to Mayor Johnson. He's the one who. I uh, made the request, and it was stellar. It looked really awesome. It, it looked so. great. Yeah, looked and, great. and you know it was great because our skyline. We we now have the ability to do these types of things, and you know when other cities are doing them, so we're part of the national movement on these things now. Dallas skyline has been lit up with di different colors for different reasons, yep. um, and it seems to be on the whim. How, how how are they able to do that? Are these buildings already just set with different color lights? And, you know, how do they uniformly do this? You know, so um, some of the buildings retrofitted their lights uh, after the Omni was built. Mm -hmm. And so and you're talking millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. Because they wanted to do that. And so the way the lights are in there, they're able to change the colors and um, how they want to. And I think it's a really good thing. So you're it not is. stuck with one. And, you know, the good part is, is that the city has really worked with the different buildings because remember we don't own the buildings so we don't mm -hmm. we can't tell them what they have to do or can do and um you know they're all working together and i think that they now see that when you look similar or you know we have a theme that you know it, it's really big and it mm -hmm. looks great for the city and um i think that the first time that we did kind of a theme was pride actually so mm -hmm. I, yeah i, I, I remember you know, that you know maybe some red white and blue before that but Pride is kind of what kicked it off that mm -hmm. first time that we got the pride colors on uh, three buildings, and then that next year it was the entire skyline. So, yeah. And every year it's the entire skyline yeah. now. So, it, It's always kind of special when the Omni Hotel does it yeah. because it was the LGBT community that forced them to put in non-discrimination protections right. uh, because of city rules. Right. That was um, um, before I was on the council, mm -hmm. uh, being a member of the LGBT task force for the city of Dallas. And that was something that folks like Patty Fink that is on this show and other folks, um, we worked really hard to get that with the Omni. And and they did it kicking and screaming. Kicking and screaming. They did not want to do it. And, you know, they, they had to bend. You know, it's like my biggest argument was we, the taxpayers, paid for that hotel. So... You're gonna, you're gonna right. give us some non-discrimination policies for the employees and for the people that stay at that hotel, and um, they finally ended up doing it. So. Yeah. I, I mean, and there was no reason for them not to do it. It, it wasn't costing them anything. Right. It was changing some wording in some HR documents uh, to say we're not going to discriminate against our employees based on sexual orientation, gender identity. You, you know, um, what's so hard? You know, having worked for Lambda Legal those seven years that I did before I got on the city council, what I would learn from businesses and nonprofits and different organizations is they were terrified to ever update 
non-discrimination policies because they had it backwards in their brains thinking that, oh, if we put those in there, everybody's going to be able to sue us. It's yeah. actually the exact opposite. Yeah. You put them in there and then your employees or people can't sue you because you have a policy. And then you're going to do training. You're going to do these other things. So if somebody is not abiding by the non-discrimination or the policy, it's like you actually protect the company, the organization, you know, the city, whatever it is, whatever entity it is, you actually protect it because then you can go, you know what, bigot, you can be fired because you broke policy, you broke the rules versus if you have no rules, then it's actually the other way around. Mm -hmm. and a lot of the politicians use the same reason, too, when they are against updating um, the, the federal um, protections, you know, oh, well, that's going to invite more lawsuits in. It's like, no, that, that's not actually how it works. No, it actually goes the opposite. It does the way. opposite. You know, but and, a hotel company, right? hotels hire lots and lots of LGBT people. Yes, they do. <laughs> and the reason we know that is that they're out LGBT people. Right. <laughs> All you're saying is we're not going to discriminate against you. Right. We're happy to have you as good employees. Now, right. if you do something wrong as an employee... Your job will be in jeopardy, but that's how it is for everybody. Right. You know, do your job. Well, that was, you know, similar to when uh, literally I was councilman-elect in 17, and the, one of the first things I got to do before I was sworn in was uh, help finish a, with our trans activists. They led the charge, but I got to help them finish it with... Um, former council member Kingston, uh, former mayor pro tem Adam Medrano, and um, the city didn't have transgender health care benefits. And it was one of those, it was the same thing. It was like, well, why would we offer the, oh, everybody is, that's trans is going to come and want to work for the city. And my thing went, don't we want talent? But, right. Well, if that's, that's a good thing then. <laughs> um, and, you know, everybody thought it was going to cost this ridiculous amount of money. And actually, for the city, it's pennies on the dollar. If it's one or two pennies per employee in order to have these benefits. San it, Francisco figured mm -hmm. it cost them, I think, 18 cents per yep. employee. Yep, like 18 cents, I think, was San Francisco. And the city that was Dallas, San Francisco. Right, and that's San Francisco. So the city, it's even less Right. for, for Dallas. So, But the good thing is... We've now had, you know, employees who have transitioned on the job at the city of Dallas since then. We've had employees who, um, or we've had talent that has come to apply at the city of Dallas and, you know, folks that are doing very well all over the city. And, you know, the city, the city of Dallas has come a long way when it comes to uh, transgender issues. We're not there yet. We're not completely done yet, mm -hmm. but we're, we're, we've really moved the ball um, as far as we can so far, and, you know, we're not done. We, we, we keep pushing. So mentioning trends, has the city of Dallas issued an opinion or how are they going to move forward in light of the recent trends uh, statement from our, you know, governor sending a letter saying that, you know, they want everybody to report um, that this, this cra it's, not, it's not even a law, but they want everybody to report trans uh, kids um parents of trans kids as child abusers right and that and that's horrific it's, it's horrific it's terrible um it's an opinion right. that was given by the indicted attorney general mm -hmm. of the state of texas and multiple indicted multiple yeah. <laughs> multiply multiple <laughs> indicted right uh attorney general of the state of texas 
And what people need to know and make sure they understand is that the AG's opinion is literally just an opinion. It's an opinion. It's not law. It's not law. It's never been tried in a court. And I can tell you that many district attorneys across the entire state of Texas have come out saying that this is not even... They're just going to ignore it. It's non-binding. Including right. the five major metros. Right. The five major metros, all those DAs all said that we're ignoring this. This is it's not it's non binding. And what the governor did is completely non binding. And so the city of Dallas hasn't taken any hasn't taken a stance yet. Um but it is something that, you know, this happened during the ice storm. It did. And I hate to say it, I really think that Governor Abbott did it so that we wouldn't all beat up on him like we did two weeks before about the power grid because, you know, he, he's not getting anything accomplished or done. You know what he could do that would really help right now? We need to send him to Moscow and bring down the Russian power grid. <laughs> He'd be good at it. <laughs> there is nobody who has better experience with that than our governor. You know, David, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a shame. It really is a shame that... Uh, the governor has decided to be a bully and pick on kids. That, that's it's completely un-Texan. It's completely un-American. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I made a post that I would stand with trans kids. I mean, I've been doing it since before, but you know, if you go into my office, you know, city hall's not open, you know, without appointments right now. But um, it's getting ready to go back to. Almost as normal as we were before the pandemic. I've gotten in. You've gotten in. Well, you're the press, though. So, <laughs> no, I just say, oh, I have an appointment with Omar. Just say you have an appointment with me. They'll let you in. <laughs> and so, um, but every day outside of my office since the first day that I got that I got <laughs> sworn in, and we moved in, I have always had a pride flag and uh, the transgender flag out in front of my door, right. and we have a sign that everybody is welcome in my office and you know the great part of that is more council members have done it since then oh good and it's it's important yeah. it's important that we show that folks are welcome that it's a safe space and especially for our trans uh, family members you know I, I just can't even imagine what a parent of a trans child is going through right now i was about to say you know i'm a parent and you, uh, you just have all kinds of worries about when your kid is at school, when they go to the doctor, just general uh, worries. I can't imagine what it would be like. Now you have to have, and if you have a trans kid, so you have another layer of worrying about are they being picked on, are they being treated right. Now you have another layer, like, okay, right. everybody's going to be looking at me like I'm abusing my kid, and if, if somebody's going to turn me into CPS, right. not that CPS is even going to move on it, but still, nobody wants to go through that. It's unnecessary. It's going to be incredibly stressful. It's incredibly stressful. You're absolutely right. It's it's kind of like this, um, this stupid abortion law that we have that allows somebody to sue on behalf of the state. I mean, right. it's just ridiculous. Well, this is exactly what. It's the same thing. Yeah. Oh, you're going. You are responsible for reporting it. And I'm so like, here, well, here's I'm what I want to do I'm with that law. The, I'm going to break it. I don't care. I'm not reporting anybody. So. Yeah. Here, here's what I want to do with the abortion law is if I were to, and when Shelley Skeen from Lambda Legal mm -hmm. uh, was on, I asked her, and she just wasn't sure what would happen. If I said on the air, oh, I just drove somebody to have an abortion, I haven't. Can they sue me? And if they do, can I sue them back for false suit? Can I countersue them? 
What is she saying? <laughs> I'm no lawyer, so I'm yeah, going to yeah. tell you. I, 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 she <laughs> thought that was kind of interesting and not sure what could happen. But if I were to, if they have suspicion. I mean, I would, I'm not no lawyer either, but as I know, I work with a lot of attorneys. I would imagine the burden of proof is on them to prove that you took somebody to have an abortion. But who knows? I mean, Shelley's going to be on again. Dropped off somebody at the right. Outside. Exactly. You didn't know they were going. Exactly. You put the well, that's and... where the concern was for Uber drivers. Right. right. Yeah. I yeah. need to go to such and such address. Take them to such and such address. Mm -hmm. Turns out to be uh, Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. Well, is that well, and remember, Planned Parenthood. Less, it's about three percent of what Planned Parenthood does is abortion care. Uh, right. Ninety-seven right. percent so is everything else. Right. So how do you know somebody was there for? Right. Right. Do right. that. Right. They might have just gone in to get okay. a mammogram or get an STI check right. or exactly. You know. You know. Maybe they needed. You know. A breast exam. Anything. Who yeah. knows? Who knows? I mean, a lot of a lot of people use Planned Parenthood for their um, health care needs. Mm -hmm. They said that something like eighty-five percent of women have gone to Planned Parenthood for some health care issue wow. at some point in their life yeah. yeah you know I sit on the community board for Planned Parenthood and um, you know I think Planned Parenthood does amazing work and it's such a shame that the Republican Party has decided that oh they're gonna make Planned Parenthood as if all they do is abortion care right it's not all they do it's three percent right 97 percent of what they do is all this other health care other health care needs including trans health care they they also offer health care for transgender people which is why they're a beneficiary of black tie dinner exactly it's for their transgender uh, health care we're talking to omar second choice narvaez he is a <laughs> dallas city council person in his what are you at 12th term i think it feels like 12th but i'm actually in my third term third term so you have one more term before you're uh, term limited out that's right uh, and Laurent can run for that seat <laughs> because he's shown such an interest. <laughs> and because I live in Dallas. Hey, and you the, know, there's people who fill out the form and get on the ballot, and they've never even voted in their lives, you know. <laughs> and it's like, oh, but you want to help run our city. Right. right. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> uh, we need to take a break. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laurent Landis, and we'll be back with more right after this. And welcome back to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laurent Landis. Patty will be back with us next week, and our guest is Omar's second choice, Narvaez. Fresh Start, it's called? The Fresh Start Workforce Program. The Fresh Start Workforce Program. What do you know about it? With the City of Dallas. With the City of Dallas. So this is really exciting um, pro um, project that the city's, um, you know, my colleague, Casey Thomas, a former mayor pro tem of the city as well, he has been working on this issue on workforce development. And so what it does is it helps formerly incarcerated persons be able to um, get back into the workplace. And, you know, I, I, you know, and this is really exciting because a lot of people think that, don't realize that if you, especially if you're a felon, you do your time, you're done and our society punishes these folks for the rest of their lives so it's a life sentence even though it's not it doesn't shouldn't be. it's not like you do your time then your record is wiped clean right no it's, it's it follows you when you have things like you have to check a box mm -hmm. on your application that says you're a felon and i can tell you that the first thing people do is they see that and they're like oh throw it out and you know and and and, and this 
this affects me personally. My younger brother is, um, you know, he's done his time. He's off paper, and he struggles financially because it's hard for him to get a job down in Houston. And so having something like this in the city of Dallas is really exciting because we were able to put a lot of funds towards it and help formerly incarcerated persons, which really highly affects people of color and a lot of LGBT people of color. And so by having this in place is going to really help a lot of people be able to get back into the workforce and be able to provide for their families. It's You shouldn't be punished for your entire life because you made a mistake, you know, Again, as long as you, you know, did your time and you're clear, it's like you should be allowed to feed your family, feed yourself, and be able to do the things that any other person in our society is able to do. Does this, does this program address um, living, uh, places to live? Because this is one of the things that I found out. Um, one of my best friends is an apartment manager. When you have a, a felony on your record, you cannot get an apartment, even if you have the money, even if you got a job. You there, So you, there's no place to live. Right, and that's something that also, so all of these services are it's kind of wraparound okay. in order to help folks that are in need of, need of these services. And you're absolutely right. You know, uh, No one will rent to you. Mm-mm. So you have to find a family member or somebody who's just like, eh, I don't care. Like, you know, it's no big right. deal. Right. Somebody with a good heart who is like, you know, I mean, maybe they have a chit-chat. Because, you know, what are people go to jail for all kinds of stuff. Right. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I mean, I get it. If somebody was a rapist, you know, it's like, well, you know, we got to put them in a place, you know, but have they been rehabilitated to where we know they're not going to do something like that again? But, you know, somebody who maybe, you know, I don't know, sold some drugs one time in their life when they were, you know, 21 and now they're 58. It's like they've never... Sold a drug or touched a drug again, again in their right. lives, and they're still being punished. And they're still being punished. Well, so even somebody, like a friend of mine, uh, and I met him through reporting. I visited him in prison. We started writing to each other afterwards because I had some questions for him for the story, and uh, on and on until we got him into a rehabilitation program, and uh, about twenty-five hundred. Uh, incarcerated people will apply for this program about 250 got into his group and 67 of them graduated from it of the 67 the way they helped them and it had to be people who were very serious about it and obviously out of 2500 67 graduated um they helped him with housing mm-hmm. uh with a halfway house for a specified period he, and then helped him get permanent housing. Uh, they helped him finance a car, because even if you have a job, you have to get to it. Right. They helped him get a job, and now he's just doing really, really well. As far as his crime, he took responsibility for it, and he's outgrown it. Right. And... Uh, Councilman First Choice helped him actually at one point. His son, uh, he got custody back of his son, and he was put into all the wrong classes. And we and, and 
was panicking about it. Mm -hmm. So he called me, what can you do, what can you do? And I said, well, let me make a couple of calls, see what I can do. So I called Adam. Mm -hmm. uh, the next day, my friend called me. He said, well, did you call his counselor? I said, I don't know his counselor. He said, well, who did you call? I said, the deputy mayor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was he on the council at that point? Not yeah, that. yeah, he was on the council at but, this you know, point. But he, you know, you know, Adam Madrano was on the school board for seven years. Right. And, and three-time board president, so and, and helped he knows me, the ISD very well. Helped me get his son into great classes. Yep. Uh, the next year, his son got into science and engineering. And they're, I mean, this family is doing great now. Just a little bit of help. And that's what, we all need help. It doesn't matter if you're the most, quote-unquote, successful person on the mm -hmm. planet or, you know, you've had, you've run into a lot of trouble. We all need help. And, and that's something that I think that we have to be better as as people. And I think that's what's really good that the city of Dallas is starting to do. Um, and this didn't start because of the funding that we got from the pandemic money. We actually started this the year before, and we invested $30 million into different social services programs. Which sounds like a lot, but you know how much it costs to keep somebody in prison for a year? Probably more than that. So uh -huh. Millions. And that's the thing. And, and what do they get? You know, crap food and, you know, not even a decent place to sleep. And so that, you know, it's like we can put less money in to help folks and actually get them in the right way, right, the right place, the right path, and give them... You know, these aren't handouts. This is literally a, you know, uh, hand up. And, you know, people who want to learn or want to achieve, they will. And that's what's really exciting about these types of programs. Mm -hmm. And the more that we get it done, you know, the more we work on these types of things, the better. And, you know, um, just like this past year, we, uh, the city of Dallas, thanks to our deputy assistant, I mean, I'm sorry, our deputy city manager, Kim Tolbert, and our city manager, T.C. Brodnax, they were able to put together $77 million so that we can start to tackle the unhoused issue, population issue here in the city. And so that was August 1, and October 1 is when the programming started, and it's working. It, you know, it's called rapid rehousing, and we're able to help those folks. And, you know, I've always said it, to clear out an encampment without offering a place to live is completely cruel. Mm -hmm. And that's the way we had done it for decades, and it wasn't working. I just and read the city. And it's starting to work. The city is buying a motel. We've bought, we're, we're buying a fourth one. We've already bought three. Yeah, yeah. Because I know someone who's in them. Some, that your program has helped somebody. Great. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and yeah, so we bought, um, so the silver lining of the pandemic is that, unfortunately, some hotels didn't make it. But for the city, we were able to invest with some of those ARPA funds, and we bought two right away, one in far, far north Dallas on uh, uh, President Bush Highway or whatever up there, um, that's in the nosebleed section for me, so I... <laughs> <laughs> I know, and thank you for driving even this far north. You're welcome. I don't normally do it either, except once I passed 635. It was a little scary. So, <laughs> so then, I'm just... I kid. Um, I live by downtown, so... Um, and then um, and then we, we just purchased another one, and then we just passed 
to purchase a hospital down in South Dallas that had been abandoned for, it was shuttered for many, many years, and then it, it's been closed for the last five years, but before that, um, it was like 20 years, and um, so we per, we're, we're purchasing that one, and then we'll go out into the community, we'll figure out what people in the community want there, but the services will be the first of its kind in the nation to have complete wraparound services, so transitional housing, respite care, uh, everything that the unhoused may need uh, and give them all of that. And then there's enough land that then we can possibly in the future, and again, we have to talk to the community first to see mm -hmm. what they want around them is possibly build workforce housing, you know, all these really amazing things that can happen there. And uh, and it's, it's really exciting because this stuff has been happening in Europe and we've just never done it in the United States, and so Dallas will be the first. And so we're going to be leading the charge now, mm -hmm. and I'm excited about it because, you know, we 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 did things with, especially when it came to the unhoused, the same way for decades. It didn't work, and now we're trying something different. And some things will work, some things won't, and the things that don't work then will go a different route. But the things that are working, they're working very well. And I'll I'll go, you know, leaving unhoused, but to right care which is our program that we piloted two years ago in one precinct of the Dallas Police Department. Instead of sending police officers to a call for people that have mental health issues, we're now sending professionals, nurses, social workers, people counselors. That, that do that kind of work, counselors, now, a DPD officer is with them, mm -hmm. just in case something goes wrong. But So the pilot, before, 97% of the, um, when it was just DPD going, 97% of the calls would end up in an arrest. Mm. The pilot program in its first year completely flipped it. It was like 6% of the calls ended up in an arrest. But with having these trained counselors, nurses, social workers, 94% are getting the help they need. And and that's way better than us sending better. them to Lou Sterrett, where it's going to cost, it actually costs more than a hotel night to, send, to put right. somebody in Lou Sterrett. Mm -hmm. And that is not where somebody with mental health issues needs to be. Right. Is in a jail, they need to be in an actual hospital or some kind of a facility if they need that. And then the great part with Right Care is that some of the uh, calls are actually done over the phone. We don't even have to send somebody out. They're able to do it over the phone, and it's costing us less than if we... And it's expanded beyond just that one... Uh, it's the entire city now. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Yeah, with this budget, it's the entire city, so... Which is great. No, this is fantastic. So, yeah. I mean, we had to do it in two budgets. So you we know, did the pilot, then we did half half the city but it was really the whole just and now it's full program and it's interesting when um, one side argues that we're trying to defund the police <clears throat> this is actually the type of program we're talking about exactly getting the police, public safety yeah, getting the police to do police work and getting other people who are coming under the auspices of the police department right. to do the counseling to do the social work type stuff that police officers had in the That's past right. been and, asked and to do. And thanks to Parkland, because there are partners in this. And, you know, Parkland Hospital is helping us, you know, do this. And because of it, other cities are now looking at... We weren't the first. We just took it to a level that most other cities hadn't. Mm -hmm. And now other cities are looking at this. But this is also, you know, why the city of Dallas 
is, you know, the men and women in blue do a great job, and um, I can't say negative things about them as far as, you know, the work they do, but what I can say is that when we reimagine and we take things off their plate, that's another way that we've reimagined certain things that helps Chief Garcia and DPD so that they can focus on police work. And that's why the city of Dallas is the only major city in the country that the crime crime rates are falling mm -hmm. and everybody else is going up. Mm -hmm. It's putting in these different layers. We're not arresting homeless people anymore. We're not arresting the, the um, folks with mental health issues. We're not arresting people with um, um, two ounces or less of marijuana. We're, it's all these different things that we're doing that's helping us be a safer society and a, and a better city and allowing our men and women in blue to go focus on violent crime, the murders and the, uh, you know, people, you know, violently assaults hurt, and assaults and major robberies, things of that <clears throat> nature that you really want DPD working on. All right. I, I'm sorry, but we, we can arrest mm -hmm. uh, a person who's unhoused and we stick them in jail for a night, they're going to be right back out the next day. And, the, the and whole, it takes a police officer four hours to do that. And the whole idea of being considered a criminal because you're homeless is just baffling to it, me. It's, it's awful. It is awful. It, it, is, it is not illegal. It's, it's to not be illegal to, be, to not have a, home, a place to live. What should be illegal is that we allow people in our society to become unhoused. Right. That should be illegal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we're doing it backwards. Yeah, we are. <laughs> and so I'm glad the city of Dallas is moving forward with our rapid rehousing program. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it may not look it right now, but we're starting to get more and more of these folks that are um, un unhoused are starting to take the programs and starting to do it. It's just that when somebody's been on the streets sometimes for two, three, four, five years, they don't trust other human mm -hmm. beings because we've allowed them as society to go there. And then we were like, Oh, let me hide you. You're, you know, you, oh, we, it, it's just awful. And so it takes about seven to eight touches, meaning um, for our, our, our um, Office of Homeless Solutions folks to talk to different folks before you even, before they get some credibility with that one person. And even then it might be 10, 12, 15 touches. And some people just, they're not, you know, they're, they like, they like the way their life is and they, they're happy with it. And those are the folks that it's like it's okay, but a lot and, of them have drug issues or mental health issues, and those are the folks we really. And having help. helped with the um, youth homeless count a few mm -hmm. years ago, one of the things I learned from all of the youth that we got came in contact with who were just living, it was February, it was cold, and in the middle of the night that we came in contact with, um, they don't go to the shelters because they're afraid of them. Right because they can be dangerous places. The, the shelters can be more dangerous than living than being on the out on the street. And that's a shame. It shouldn't be that way. And that's what we, that's what we want to make sure is that we have, um, we do better, especially in our shelters. And, and that's part of this, this, fund, this funding and these monies mm -hmm. is to help the shelters improve. And you know, when they're all um, operating on a shoestring budget, well, of course, these bad things are going to happen, and so uh, they're getting better. And you know, but we still we still have a ways to go. And that's the thing. That's where this transitional housing. So I just want to make sure folks out there understand what transitional housing is. You're, if you hear transitional housing, that is not a shelter. Transitional housing is an apartment building. It might be a, a home, and it's 
literally people who've gone through programs. They may look just like me and you. Mm-hmm. They just had a something bad in their life happen, and they lost their home. And they just can't get back on their feet. So the transitional housing gets them out of emergency shelter, gets them into a home where they might stay anywhere from six months to two years, depending on the program. They continue their programs. They have wraparound services that help them so that they don't slide back into being unhoused. We want, the goal is permanency. And then through our um, partnership with Dallas Housing Authority and other groups, depending on, some some folks make the money. Just like you said earlier, Mm -hmm. or maybe it was David, I can't remember. It's like, you have the money, you can't, but nobody will hire you. You It's like, and and so this is the same thing with the housing. It's like, I think you said, you know, yeah, you're making all this money, but nobody will will give you a a home because you, you have a felony. Well, this is the same thing with the unhoused, but some of them just need a little more help so that they don't slide backwards and go back to being unhoused. And that's where this rapid rehousing is starting to work. And so this this is a good thing. And um, we're massaging some things uh, because, we, you know, well, something that first, wasn't in there was evictions. So right. we got to well, work on that. <laughs> it was a first-in-the-nation program. Yep. You had nobody to rely on to give you, okay, now make sure this is included right. and this is included. So the program hopefully will get better absolutely it can only get better you learn as you go and you learn yeah absolutely and you know we've taken the best practices from you know cities like houston with their veterans program for unhoused veterans san antonio has a really excellent program with another group you know so we're trying to take the best practices from different cities and put them all in one never a good idea to take ideas from houston hey Um, i was born and raised in houston (laughs) we're both former houstonites i have to hear houston shots all but they both left but i'm a big time dallasite i had no choice to leave my parents left and my mama raised me right she raised me a dallas cowboy fan oh okay well there's there's where we we part we need to take a break you're listening You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laurent Landis. Our guest is Omar, second second choice Narvaez, and they're posing for pictures and not even paying attention to the show right now. We'll be back with more right after this. And we're back with uh, Lambda Weekly. Uh, We have a new CD for our bumpers, which is our old CD for bumpers, and I'm not used to where they are in... It's not reading it real well on the machine. So, <laughs> so welcome back to Lambda Weekly. Yay! Uh, we're talking to Omar's second choice, Narvaez. Uh, he was a, he thinks he was our second choice. Um, third, fourth, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Um, one of the committees you serve on is Arts and Culture. Yes, Quality of Life, Arts and Culture, yes. Um, since... The first openly gay council person, Craig McDaniel, served on the uh, council. A gay person has always been on arts and culture. What's up with that? Except for the 10 years when we didn't have an openly gay council member. Oh, so Pauline Medrano, (laughs) same thing. I don't know. Was she on Quality of Life? I don't know. I I think so. (laughs) Um, I'll have to ask her. Um, Yeah, you know, I'm actually, you know, we don't do this at City Hall, but um, I'd actually be the ranking member now. Mm. of it because I've been on there since I got on the council so um, I'm at you know a little over four and a half years being on the quality of life arts and culture committee and you know I'm really proud of a lot of the work we've done there helping write and making sure that there was tons of equity in our uh, cultural plan for the city of Dallas three years ago so you made sure that straight people were involved too 
Oh, of course. <laughs> we can't do anything without a few straight people. So, <laughs> but you know, um, you know, but it, it's it, you know, so it, organizations like the Turtle Creek Corral. Uh, you know, are included in there. You know, we, we just wanted to make sure everything was layered so that all different groups would be able to benefit from our cultural plan. So here's my question. Uh, I, you know, I know what generally arts and culture would do is bringing things to the city and making sure the city has access to a whole variety of things. During the pandemic, what was the committee concerned with? You know, during the pandemic, we were concerned with how do we get arts and culture out to people because we <coughs> couldn't you couldn't go to a musical you couldn't you know go to an art show right. and so what we did was we really worked with our rec centers our libraries and virtual and we did a re I mean I'm not gonna say we we're perfect but we did things like making sure that there were uh, mobile symphonies <clears throat> you know that were in a truck so that people could be out in their front yards we we, we gave away tons of arts art kits so that families could do things out of our rec centers and our libraries and you know and then we made sure that there was access to things virtually through our websites and it was hard but let me tell you the one group out there that is the most resilient of all groups is our art our, our artistic community they are the ones that actually because of them that when we had to go virtual for our city council meetings, we learned it from them. We learned a lot of things from the arts and culture groups because they were the first to go. They were the, you know, when that's your livelihood, you know, I, and I thought it was really, you know, beautiful that, you know, I, when drag queens were doing drag shows in their own apartments or, you know, their homes, you know, yeah, it was a one person show, but, you know, because they needed the tips because you couldn't go to a bar, you couldn't go to a restaurant. And so it was just ingenious what some people did and learned to do. And, you know, it's, it's also ingenious that how a lot of these folks are now doing a lot of things through different mediums, uh, you know, in order to make money, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for arts and culture. So mm -hmm. it, it's, I, I, it's, a, it's, it's a committee that I really, really like, and I'm really glad I'm on it. And I hope that the mayor uh, allows me to stay on it uh, for however long I'm on the Dallas City Council. So I, I would love to do... Um, if I decide to do eight years or the voters decide to have me for eight, a full eight years, um, which, David, you mentioned earlier, I have one more term uh, that I can run for, then um, I'd really like to be make sure that all eight years that I got to be on the uh, Arts and Culture Committee for the City of Dallas. And one of, that, that was one thing, but my, my, my biggest pride thing that I was able to accomplish with a lot of help from other council members was when we redid the Visit Dallas Hotel Occupancy Tax that we made Visit Dallas give up to 15% of that tax, which is the cap by the state that goes now back to arts and culture. So in 2026, it'll be at that full 15%, because you know, we, we, we stair-stepped it. And arts and culture in 2026 will get about almost $10 million a year from that hotel mm -hmm. occupancy tax, which for a lot of these small and medium organizations, organizations, that's you know, it's like they won the lottery, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, so for some of them getting a $30,000, $50,000, $100,000 grant, you know, because they're small, mm -hmm. it's huge. Mm -hmm. And so that was probably the thing that I'm most proud of getting accomplished yeah. there. And then um, the other accomplishment, obviously, was the cultural plan. But in the cultural plan, we were able to uh, do the expansion of the Latino Cultural Center. 
And so we have a black box theater there now. Mm -hmm. um, of course, we didn't know a pandemic was going to hit, um, but I, you know, we did open it. It's open. We're starting to have shows in there and other things. So you know, now you have the, the main theater, and we have the expansion of the black box theater. And that bond money was sitting there for about a decade. And because the old cultural plan didn't allow for us to touch it because you had to have a 40% match, well, we had enough money to build the thing. And the, the two principal companies now, Teatro Dallas and Caramilla Theater, were responsible for raising, I think it was 250000 so to buy the, like the chairs and some um, upgraded sound systems, things like that, and which they're going to be using anyway. I mean, it's basically them who are going to be using it. And so it was a fair thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that made the equity happen uh, that, that I was talking about in the cultural plan. So mm -hmm. I don't know if you were trying to go somewhere else, but... <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, uh, you, you mentioned um, before the show, you know, we were talking, and Pride is back on this year. I just learned um, earlier this week. Yeah. Um, after not being able to have a parade last year. Um, I know you're not, the city of Dallas doesn't, can't tell the pride where to go, but can you talk a little bit about um, where it's going to be held and where some people may want to have it held? So my understanding is that Tavern Guild has decided to do it at Fair Park again. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, but that is between the city and, and, uh, and um, the Tavern Guild because of contracts and all that to Fair Park. Gotcha. And then, um, but, you know, there's a lot of folks that, you know, want a hybrid. You still have the festival at Fair Park, but they prefer the parade to either be back in Oak Lawn or in downtown. Or downtown, yeah. Um, you know, there's also, you know, the diehards that are like, no, bring it all back to Oak Lawn. Um, there's other folks that say, no, put it all in downtown. I mean, there's, anything can happen, but it's, you know, we got to get it. We just got to make sure it's the right thing. Uh, you know, One of the reasons that well. it is in Fair Park Parade and Festival this year is money. It's less expensive to put it on in Fair Park because of one of the things is the cost of police. Right. Where you have tall buildings, you have to have police on top of each of those tall buildings right. uh, just for general protection. Mm -hmm. And it, it's like half the number of police officers that's needed in Fair Park. And does permits have anything to do with it also? Like that you shouldn't you you probably need less permits. permits if special event permits, things like that. Okay. Um, yeah. Food permits for temporary food, things, gotcha. things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But overall, it's... Um, I mean, it's still work. Don't get me wrong. It's, yeah. it's expensive to throw a festival or a big parade. But this is something that I do want to push, which is that um, how do we help? The city of Dallas basically pays for the MLK parade. So maybe we don't pay for the pride parade, but could we cut our costs or could we just donate the barricades and, you know, certain things that, you know, we're going to do it anyway, you know, so um, could we just eat that and in order to help the Pride Parade? Because the Pride Parade in Dallas is huge, the mm -hmm. festival. It's, it's huge. It, it is It attracts huge. about um, around thirty to 40,000 people, and that's a mega event. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe we, we do need to put a little uh, effort into it. A lot of people come in from out of town for it. A lot of people mm -hmm. do come in from out of town so, for mm -hmm. it. So, and, you know, especially from the smaller cities, and rural mm -hmm. cities, but also people who just enjoy pride 
And so they might come from the major cities as well um, because Dallas is a fun place. Yeah. And, you know, it, I mean, we can trust Houston a little bit. So it's well, like, no, it's, well, well, you know, well, here's something. Here's something. You, David, why would you want to go to Houston to party for Pride? Come to Dallas. Exactly. Well, here's right? something that David absolutely cannot trash Houston on. Houston is the largest Pride parade in the South. Right, it has a, it's, absolutely it's the largest. The largest. There, yes. There's no, there's no question about right. that. It, it attracts close to a hundred thousand. Yeah, and so now that Dallas's pride has moved back to June, for years it was not. Right. But for decades it was not. So that's kind of created some competition. So we need to step it up here. Right. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. So Houston used to do theirs, theirs in the Montrose area, mm -hmm. and then. I think it was four or five years ago they moved it to downtown. For marriage equality. Is that what happened downtown, when they yeah. moved it to downtown? I can't remember. I remember I, I worked at Lambda when it happened. I was in that parade. We would turn a corner, <clears throat> and the number of people was, I mean, we, we were walking and just went, holy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> because there were that many people, like 12-story parking yeah. garages with people hanging yeah. out yeah. each level. And they do their parade at night. Yeah, and it, it's pretty cute. cool. It is it's kind of cold. Because yeah. they have the lights, and yeah. San Antonio does theirs at night yeah. as well. Yeah, oh, I didn't know some of the heat. Yeah. Oh. It's hot. <laughs> I was born and raised in Houston. Yeah. It's hot. It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take June in Dallas any day <laughs> over June I, I in Houston. Always, I always laugh when people say, oh, it's so humid. I'm like, oh, you haven't had, you haven't had a humid hot weather until you lived in Houston. That's right. <laughs> this I, is nothing. I swear that I thought you just sweated all day. <laughs> That was life like, was until life I left there. and then uh, moved to Austin. And, you know, still, you know, still yeah. a little humid there, but mm -hmm. not like mm -mm. Houston. Not and then Houston. when I moved to Dallas, it's like, what? what's all this? Like, <laughs> I don't have oily skin anymore. <laughs> but it's a lovely 100 out here today. That's right. Right. But that's the thing is the temperature doesn't get really high in Houston. It's that humidity that, the humidity. that adds it. But, you know, yeah. but I'll, I'll definitely, uh, yes, I was born and raised in Houston, but. I love my Dallas. So. You know, one other thing I wanted to ask you about. This week, the Dallas City Council approved a new convention center. We did not approve a new convention center. What we approved was the first, what we said was of the four or five plans, we picked one and said, go with this one and bring it back to us when you have a 30% design. And then <clears throat> at that point, we will then vote um, whether to go forward and then we'll also have to vote to send a referendum to the voters for a portion of how it gets paid. It's going to be, so just, I just want to make sure everybody understands, not a single dollar will come out of your general fund. So that's the monies that pays for your parks, your police, your streets, fire department, libraries, rec centers, not a dime comes out of the general fund. What will happen is the dollars, 2.2 uh, .2 billion of the dollars will come from the state of Texas is giving us their sales tax. So six and a quarter of the eight and a quarter in sales tax that you pay on certain things you buy, um, eight and a quarter is what it is, right? Six and a quarter is the states. The city of Dallas gets two of those pennies. And um, so we'll get to get that six and a quarter from all the sales tax from that area that has to do with the hotels. We'll also get the liquor tax um, that we'll be able to keep from the hotels and the convention center, things of that nature. And that's on top of the two, that gets us to the 2.2 billion. Then we will send a referendum to the voters, what's called a Brimer bill. And this is what's really exciting is that my colleague, um, council member Adam Basildua, my park board member Timothy Dickey, um, myself and other park board members, um, a lot of people went down to Austin to lobby this past legislature 
in order to amend the Brimer bill, because the Brimer bill only allows you to assess an extra tax on hotel occupancy stays, but that tax can only pay for a convention center, an arena, a stadium, stuff like that. Um, you can't use it to fix your streets or to fix mm. certain things. And so that we would, if that was the case, I'd be taking to be like, no, we're not doing a convention center. I want to fix those other things, but we're not allowed to by law. And so we'll send this to the voters. And what will happen is with the Brimer bill, how we got it amended is Fair Park will benefit because okay. parks aren't allowed to be used for the Brimer bill. And the city of Dallas is the only city that got an amendment because we went down to work on it. And so what will happen is that um, we will ask the voters to add a 2% addition to the hotel occupancy tax. So for hotel stayers, and that extra 2 cents or 2% will pay for the convention center as well, the extra. And then 20% of that will go to Fair Park. And so it'll be about almost $500 million that'll go to Fair Park to help us bring it back the way it right. needs to so we can be ready for the centennial and oh, get right. these buildings back in order yeah. um, because Fair Park has about you know six $700 million worth of deferred maintenance. And so this will help us get that up. Maybe we'll be able to... Uh, you know, fix up uh, the cotton bowl a little more and, you know, things like that. So, um, so, so yes, you'll get a new convention center, but it's not just about building. It's Wait, about transforming downtown. Is it a new convention center or a renovation add-on to the existing one? No, it'll, it'll be a completely brand new convention center. Gotcha. And the reason that we need a new one is that the convention center as it is was built in five different phases over five different decades, mm. and it's literally falling apart. Gotcha. Um, we, I, I was on the news, and people, you know, because I said, we're literally holding the convention center together with Band-Aids, paper clips, and diapers. And that's, <laughs> wow. And the reason I said diapers is because that's what they call them. There's these things in the ceiling, they're called diapers, that catch the water because the roof is leaking so bad that there's these diapers all over the convention center inside. And then you, you lower them, you empty out the water, you start all over it, and they call them diapers. And we're literally holding the convention center centered together like that. But it's not just about a new building. It's also about a new park, a new deck park, um, connecting to the new high-speed um, bullet uh, yeah, train, yeah, yeah. um, streetcars, DART, all this connectivity that will happen, a new public park downtown that will be part of the convention center. But this is where convention centers have never been done right. In the past, is oh, convention center is convention, but it really wasn't for the public use. Well, what we're trying to do is have a transformation downtown where it'll be for the public, and there just happens to be a convention center. There just happens to be this building. And so when we do all of this, so 3C is what went forward. And so that came out of my committee. I'm the chair of transportation and infrastructure. And, um, and we took it out of committee for 3C, a vote 6 to 1. And then the council approved for 3C to be what we want to look at and go forward with in a vote of uh, 14 to 1. Nice. Sounds like a great plan to bring Dallas more into the 22nd, uh, 21st century. You know, I, I think it's, it's a really good thing. And again, like I told people, it's not about a convention center. And it's just really important that people understand that, yeah, it's going to be $4 billion, but it's not just for the building. It's for all this transformational stuff that's going to happen. But it's none of those dollars could we use for things like streets, police, fire, 
um, parks, libraries, rec centers, it's just not allowed by law, by state law. And so, you know, that's the hard part because uh, it's very confusing. Mm-hmm. You have hotel occupancy tax, revenue bonds, all kinds of stuff. Um, but the revenue that comes back from uh, the convention center, it actually pays for itself. So we actually don't put general fund dollars into the convention center. And Omar, second choice, Narvaez, I want to thank you for stepping in. Thank you so really much. Late. I love coming to the show. We love having you. We love having you. We really do. So much fun. (laughs) Uh, Next week, our guest is Brooke Henderson. She's the new incoming executive director of Legacy Cares, also known as Legacy Counseling, or used to be known as Legacy Counseling. Um, Brooke's delightful. I, I think people will enjoy hearing from her. For all of us here at Lambda Weekly, have a good week.